I see, is it my turn or your turn between Steph and KD? Actually, Magic just showed him, I mean more in LA and this franchise than you do. Golden State blew an opportunity to put a stranglehold on the Rockets and really just take control of the series. Chris Broussard here, and welcome to the brand new Hoops on Fox podcast. This podcast will give you your daily dose of all things NBA from Fox Sports, including the best content from Skip and Shannon, Nick Wright, plus special guests, fresh NBA content from myself, post-game interviews from NBA stars around the league, and much, much more. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Up first, Chris Broussard joins Skip and Shannon to break down the Rockets' crucial Game 4 win over the Warriors. I had three major takeaways. Number one, Houston just wanted it more, which is understandable. You're I'll down. It's that. a must-win game. Mm-hmm. They were 9-5 to five advantage in loose balls. And Houston's the third worst rebounding team in the league. Mm-hmm. And they out-rebounded Golden State again by they seven, did. as yep. they did in game three. And they got 13 offensive rebounds, including five huge ones in the fourth quarter. They mm-hmm. did. P.J. Tucker had three. Yeah. And Chris Paul, of all people, maybe the shortest guy on the floor, no. had two. Mm-hmm. So that shows they just wanted it I, more. I agree. The second thing was Houston lives and dies by the three. Period. <laughs> yeah. Like, And I don't know if that's a revelation necessarily, but they controlled the first three quarters because they hit 16 threes, 42%. They go one for 12 in the fourth, and all of a sudden, a game they had control of is now right there for the taking. And we remember game seven, of course, they missed 27 straight yeah. in that in game. Which they had a lead. Right. So that it'll be interesting to watch if that comes back to haunt them at some point. And then the third thing is Golden State blew an opportunity to put a stranglehold on the Rockets and really just take control of the series. Because as much as Houston dominated the play early on, they had their chances because Houston kept missing. And Draymond, look, Draymond has played great. I hate to even bring him up in a Mm. negative way because he's been playing really well. But he had those two turnovers late, like the last five and a half Mm. minutes, one dribbled off his foot. half court. Right, yeah, half court, Chris Paul steals. Those are missed opportunities. And then the layup had a drive-in layup that That's was 53 should, seconds left. That was a shot of the game to me. If he makes that with 50, right. he cuts it to three, and it tilts the score even more toward Golden State. No question. And you got more miss. time. To, yeah. So that was huge. And so they blew opportunities. And now, look, I know they have home court. Yep. I don't think they have control. I'm not saying Houston has control. I think this thing is there for the taking for either team. Oh. It's a pick em. Like, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if either team wins because I think it's, it's – Really? And they had a – Golden State no longer has control of this series. Agreed. Go ahead. You're going to let me go? Let you go. <laughs> I thought it was your show. I know you chomping at the bit. <laughs> I'm chomping because I do – I'm, I'm going to piggyback and amplify everything you just said. For me, as a hardcore NBA playoff basketball fan – that was the prettiest, ugliest game I've ever watched. It was hard to decipher what had just happened because it was a monumental win for the home team. It's everything Daryl Morey has tried to build for years. It's, it's all the eggs are in that one basket at home, and it's a three-point shooting basket. And in the end, they did what you said. They made 17 threes. It took 50 attempts, but they made 17. Golden State only managed eight. So it was plus 27 points from the three-point line. 
And trust me, it took every last one of them to hold off <laughs> Golden State. And the key to the game for Houston was they just out physical Golden State and they built a 17-point lead mid-third quarter. Yep. And it took every last one of those points to hold them off because – Houston turned back into bad old days Houston in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That, that was just flat-out pathetic. That They shoot eight for 26. James Harden turned into the bad old James. You know, he shoots three for 11, misses all six three-point shots in the fourth quarter, and they managed 19 points in the fourth quarter. You should lose like that, but you had a 17-point lead. And then this is what just tore me apart because I'm rooting for Houston because I picked them to dethrone Golden State. But do you realize over the last 231 of this crucial do-or-die momentum-swinging playoff game, over the last 231, Houston managed two free throws. And it was won by James, and, and it was the first one with, nine, what was it, 11 seconds left. And then he just gags the second one, and it could have slammed the door. And then Chris Paul with two seconds left. He gags the first one, and I'm like, oh, here we go. They're going to get a three to tie, and he made the second one to slam the door. That's the only two points they scored in the last 231. How do I? How can I love that? Is, is that? And yet, I'm with you. Somehow my takeaway was Houston weirdly has momentum. They just won two straight games. They're going back to an oracle where they should have won game one. I thought they got robbed in game one. They hung in in game two. They They – gave a good account of themselves. So Golden State has struggled, we talked about it again and again, at home all year long. So do I give the Rockets a real good shot to win game five? I do. I think they feel real good about themselves, even though they nearly gave this one back. And you're exactly right. And this, you know what, this game was reminding me of the Atlanta Patriots Super Bowl skip. That's they had true. this big lead. Yeah, that's true. Why are you still throwing the ball? Well, that's what we do. Right. Houston built this big lead, and they're still jacking up three. That's what we do. Mm. Except <laughs> Golden State did not win. That's a great <laughs> round. That's <laughs> a great because that, they're going to live and die. They're going to keep shooting. And, what, and here's the thing, Skip, because you mentioned they were one for 12 in the fourth quarter. Golden State was two for 11. I know. That's so the only go, way they So if Golden that. State goes four for 11, they win the game. Right. That, 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 I'm like, Houston, I get this is what you do. But when you build a lead like this, come on now. I mean, they they shooting the three with 18 seconds on the shot clock. Why? You're not behind. That's who they are. Right. I'm like going to do it. Mike D'Antoni, yeah. that's what he's going to do. I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness. They, 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 tried, they tried to give this game away. They really tried to because I'm like, okay, when James Harden, uh, they go up 17, I'm like, okay. And the next thing you know, they come down and shoot threes. They get careless with the ball. They let Draymond take the ball off the rim and go all the way down the court twice. Yeah. With with four seconds, I'm like, dude, y'all is anybody gonna pick him up? And everybody looking around like, okay, I've seen that act before from the Houston Rockets <laughs> in the postseason. I just didn't think I'd see it last night, but they got away with it. The thing is that Clay hasn't played well. They finally got a good game from Steph Curry last night, but you know, to Steph to uh, Clay's credit, he normally has the toughest defensive assignment. So he's got Harden, he's got Gordon, and that's not an easy assignment. So when you have to play that type of defense, it's going to take something out of you, just like Steph Curry was struggling because Gordon kept going at him. making. Now, nah, you ain't getting no rest on the defensive end because I'm going to take some of these legs for, from you mm-hmm. on the offensive end. But if you can continue to get James Harden to play Kevin Durant to a push, and you can get Tuck, P.J. Tucker, you get CP3, you get Gordon, and they can offset Clay and Steph because if we take it to the bench, it's null and void for mm-hmm. the Warriors. 
Austin Rivers is going to give us 10. Mm -hmm. We'll get a three here or there from Shump, uh, three uh, uh, from Gerald Green. Yep. Because they're only going to get probably about 9 or 10 points, mm -hmm. maybe right. 11 from the Warriors bench. Mm -hmm. Because what was a strength, an asset, is a liability. They playing Kevin Durant 40, 45 minutes a night. Uh, 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 Draymond and Clay are playing 41. Steph playing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of minutes. No question. Okay. Allow me to go second level here. Here's the bottom line key to the first four games. Steph and Clay have combined for no more than five threes combined between the two of them in each of the first four games. Five, 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 and five. You, you realize once upon a time, Steph made seven in a quarter, and once upon a time, Clay made nine in a quarter. Yeah. We know that, they're cap that they average together to the regular season seven a game. One right. of those guys averaged okay. four, hit 14 in the game, didn't Okay, he? well, that's in a game, yeah, yeah. in a game. Okay. So are you saying – My point is right. there's something wrong in there. No, no, it's just trouble. So you know, you're not saying okay. it's – because I'm thinking they're going to explode. Okay, I keep waiting, but they haven't yet through four games. And I'm seeing – a Golden State ball movement that's not right. And Steve Kerr talked about it after the game. And we talked about right. what happened at the, in the end of the game the other night. Kevin Durant through the fourth quarter just dribbled the ball up the floor. All of a sudden, this team, beautiful ball movement, share the ball. Why Kevin left Oklahoma City and joined forces with yep. these guys. They know how to share the ball. It doesn't look right anymore. I don't see flow. I don't see rhythm. I don't see chemistry. I see, is it my turn or your turn between Steph and KD? Next, Doug Gottlieb joins Colin Coward to dissect Quiet Leonard's sensational playoff run and how the NBA has changed. To bring in my friend, the Duggar Doug Gottlieb, got a show on Fox Sports Radio right after our show. All sorts of stuff to talk about. I'm so disillusioned with the Celtics. But let's start. Let's start with the big game of the night, the main event, not the undercard. Let's start with the Warriors uh, and Houston. And uh, I think we both would admit uh, Steph Curry somewhat revolutionized basketball. We don't have back-to-the-basket centers. Um, it's fascinating. He's, he really matters in the history of the sport. Uh, there are those of people, I think you're one of those, that uh, you kind of tend to believe that he maybe not, what separates him from the MJ and the Kobe's, maybe he's not perfectly built for the postseason? Correct. Like, look, what, what, what people will do is they'll troll me on the Internet and say, well, when Steph Curry came out, you didn't think he would be better than, you know, Ricky Rubio, so you're hating on him now. Right. Like, no, the guy's a two-time MVP, the first ever unanimous MVP. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, yes. Um, and what he's revolutionized is what used to be seen as bad shots because they were such low-percentage shots, he suddenly makes at a clip where guys used to make only when they're wide open. He shoots going right, he shoots going left, catch and shoot. Everything. I mean, he's ridiculous. Yes. Ridiculous. But it, it was helped, much like James Harden and LeBron James have been helped by the change in the officiating as well as the change in the style. Yeah. The officiating change in went from regular season to postseason hurts him. It yes. just does, just like it hurts James Harden. Yes. And on my radio show yesterday, I compared it to Peyton Manning. Remember, Peyton Manning is statistically the most dominant regular season quarterback we have ever seen. Ever. Okay? He's one game above 500 as a postseason quarterback. Right. And why is that? Is he a choker? Like, no, I, I think it's because in the playoffs, the New England Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl are allowed to be a lot more physical, and that would throw off their timing routes. Same thing with, with Steph Curry. They make him guard more, they game plan more, yeah. gang up on him, and they're far more physical against him. And some of the and ones that he gets in the regular season, he didn't get last night. Yeah. The bumping and the banging, the hanging on him and, and the, the grappling, yeah. that wears him down. And it's one of the reasons that uh, you can look at the last five years and how many times, well, Steph's still hurt. 
Steph, the 73 win season when they lost in the finals, Steph's worn down. He's worn down by the 70. Then it was his his ankle. (laughs) We're like always trying to like, or it's harder in the playoffs, a guy that's slightly built that they engage him defensively every time. And they're super hyper physical with him when he's on offense, every possession. Yeah, I don't, I don't see this as a, uh, anything drastic. I, I believe this is true with a lot of athletes that uh, the postseason tends to be in all sports. Hockey, they swallow the whistles. Yes. So a physical hockey player that can take more of a beating, Mark Messier, is maybe built for the postseason. Um, uh, I can't believe you. I have no idea if Mark, Mark Messier, Messier was, was a, physical or well, not. Well, he was a badass. No, he was no, a tough guy. No, I, remember, I know he won with the, with yeah. the Rangers. But I mean, you know, I, that's, I, that's about all. And then he was on Gretzky's Oilers. But I have no idea if he was but, a physical player. But, I'm going to go, okay, but I have no idea. But there are guys that are built play, regular. Po- I don't think it's a crazy thought by you. Now, I will say this. Um, and, you, and you included uh, Harden in this. This morning I wake up. If I'm Golden State and I'm like, Clay was awful. Iggy was terrible. Our bench isn't good. It was awful. Steph disappeared. We shot 24% on threes. And still had two, one wide-open look to tie the game. I f- and by the way, James Harden missed a free throw that could have iced the game. Nobody seems to mention. I, I thought P.J. Tucker was amazing last night, yes. by the way. And all the, yes. all the tip-outs he doesn't get credit for. And the physicality defensively, setting the tone. Um, and look, the Rockets are annoying. We don't like you. No one likes you. <laughs> and for good reason. This yeah. is not a, we don't like the city of Houston. We don't yeah. care enough about the city of Houston not like it. We, we don't like iso ball and the, the over-dribbling. We don't like the flopping. They're a little bit like, this is what it's like to play against a European basketball team, where they're the ones that's actually a little bit dirty and with the cheap shots, and yet they're acting like they're always getting fouled. <laughs> I'm like, with me? No, no. You, you played over there. Right. Like, Chris Paul, who I used to love, has suddenly become that guy. You're like, oh. And they got Austin Rivers. Like, Austin Rivers is so unlikable, his own dad traded him. <laughs> who does that? Right? So, and then, you know, they shoot so many threes. They complain about every call. On the other hand, last night, I thought they won that game because they were the tougher team. I agree. And, and Draymond, pointed, Draymond pointed it out. And in spite of all that, as you point out, Clay, Steph's percentage was low. They had a wide-open three from their best player at the top of the key, and he missed it. And then Steph got a pretty good look as well. They could have tied it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I sat there for three and a half hours, and I felt like and, – and this is not saying the officials – sometimes the officials – I went to a boxing match Saturday. Sometimes they'll let clutching and grabbing. Sometimes they won't. Advantage, disadvantage. And Tyson liked to get in there and grab. If a ref didn't allow it, Tyson wasn't the same fighter. Last night, the ref said, we're going to let you muck it up. You can bang on KD. The refs let a little more physical play, and it benefited Houston. Yeah. I mean, like, look, the free throws are even. There's this weird stretch in the third quarter where there's, like, four fouls called a row on the Rockets. Like, to just even it out in terms of the numbers. (laughs) But generally, yes, on the offensive boards, it's – it's it's no holds barred. There's no pushing in the back. It's whoever wants it more. Yeah, yeah. P.J. Tucker just wanted it more. Yeah. Both teams played small ball. And as you point out, like the difference in one and two is Iguodala. Livingston was, you know, missed a wide open layup last night. If they don't get contributions from those guys, then uh, all of a sudden it becomes you better hope that Clay starts making shots. Uh, look, I, I still think that Golden State it controls their own destiny, has, has a great shot to win this series. Yes. But – you're, you know, you're one turned ankle away. You're one Listen, awful shooting day from Kevin Durant away from getting run out of the playoffs and ending this run. Don't, don't remember this. Michael Jordan, the last team he couldn't get through was Detroit. Detroit had 
Isaiah. That's who this team is. Yes. Th- that's who, that's who Houston the, is Detroit. Houston Rockets are Detroit. Yes. Right? Like, and they beat the Bulls for a lot of years. Th- they did. And they were they were physical, and they had one guy who could get them buckets at the end of a shot clock in Isaiah Thomas. They yep. had another guy like an Eric Gordon in a Joe Dumars. Yep. And then they were just physical and tougher, and they, they pushed around MJ. They challenged him, knocked him on the floor every time he drove, yeah. which is exactly that, – that's really kind of the game plan of how you're playing against the Golden Generally State Warriors. Generally when you – okay, there's a lot of stats, and I don't want to – be analytics guy, but there's a lot of efficiency numbers, winning percentage, assist ratio. They just drop when Kyrie's on the floor with Boston. And we know that basketball is a team sport, and there are some superstars that are unbelievable isolation players. Kobe could be one of the best of all time. Uh, Kevin Durant's the ultimate get-a-bucket guy, but the Warriors have a losing record on his best nights. Um, What do you make of Kyrie? Where do you go from here if you're Boston? I I think you have to I heard today on our former network, Jalen Rose, say, hey, this used to be a pace and space team. When, Jalen? When? It, it, would, it was never a pace and space team. That just didn't happen, okay? Isaiah Thomas used to do the exact same thing that Kyrie is doing, right. which is end of the shot clock, go off a ball screen, get a mismatch, yeah. and go. And you know what they're struggling with? It's just not mismatches against Milwaukee. Right. Hey, newsflash, Milwaukee was the best defensive team in the NBA in the regular season, and they're the best defensive team in the NBA in the, in the postseason. I, I want to throw this at you. I, I, I told the guys this morning, I said, if the Celtics were playing the Sixers now, good matchup. If they're playing the Raptors, better matchup. Are we over-dramatizing last night simply because Milwaukee's a terrible matchup for Boston? Not just that, but the East is completely different than last year. Right. People want to say, well, it's the Sixers. The Sixers out of Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, and however flawed Ben Simmons' game is and however sick Joel Embiid is, they're a year older, they're a year better. True. Right? The Milwaukee Bucks have put a better roster around Giannis, and he's gotten better as well. Yeah. They're a far better team, far more refined team, and a better coach team as Bud has had more time to integrate yeah, his Yeah, Milwaukee's system. a better team. Okay, well, Toronto Raptors are a better team than they were last year. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the Celtics didn't have to play Toronto last year. They only had to play Boston, who didn't have Kyrie Irving, and limped their way into Boston. And the game went seven games. Is it- like, look, you can tell me that these Celtics are great. They're not. They, the Celtics won the trade for Markel Fultz. Yeah. But Jason Tatum is not a superstar that everybody wants him to be. Not yet, and maybe not ever. He's a really, really good player. Yeah. He's in his second year in the NBA. He's in his third year out of high school. And he's just a good player who has flaws. Yeah. Do I do I think Kyrie's playing great? No. I think he is. He does have a tendency to be selfish. He does have a tendency to pout. He doesn't get back defensively at times when he doesn't get, get what he wants on the offensive end. Yeah. But... He's far and away your best player, and I think the surrounding talent with the Celtics is overrated. I think Brad, as much of a genius and a friend of mine as he is, I think he's had a tough time relating to this team yeah. and the, the social kind of inner workings with him. Yeah. And I think the Milwaukee Bucks are really freaking good that the, the regular season showed us what they could be, and they've played that exact same way here in the postseason. Yeah. Now Vincent Goodwill joins Nick and CeCe to break down the 76ers at Raptors Game 5. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do we know Joel Embiid is playing? Do we know if he's sick? We don't Do we know. know if he has the runs, the diarrhea, oh, or something like that? He typically has an update like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so we haven't heard it quite yeah. yet. Yeah. Okay. Typically, like no, no, we're, we're, he we're, texts we're, the coach in the morning so he can scare the shit out of the coach. <gasps> yeah. Right. There you go. That's what he did. Uh-huh. That's, that's exactly and what just I, happened. Let's assume he's playing. Let's assume Joel Embiid's playing. Okay. If we assume he's playing. But how well does he play? Because after game two, you could say, all right, maybe Joel Embiid is the best player in this series. And then after game four, you were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Kawhi Leonard is the best player in this series. We don't know right. who the best team is in this series, but we know mm. that Kawhi Leonard is the best performer here. Now, for me, I think Kawhi Leonard is going to play his best game and if you're on the road in your Philadelphia, you can't depend on your role players tonight. This has to be a Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid game. And because it's going to be a Jimmy Butler game, it means that there's not going to be a big Ben Simmons factor because he's not a factor when he doesn't have the ball. To me, that is the biggest dichotomy of all of this for Philadelphia is that to maximize your best performer, which has been Butler, you have to minimize your most important player, which is Simmons which leaves Embiid as a total wild card, and you don't know how he's going to perform from night to night. Is Ben Simmons really the most important player? Because he hasn't really been, especially you saw Jimmy Butler is now taking command. This offense is now seemingly going through Jimmy Butler. Ben Simmons has been a, a non-factor. If they – well, but that's – Ben Simmons being a non-factor is one of the reasons that – the Sixers have not been able to, in my mind, fully take advantage of a Raptors team that right now is not doing a ton great, except for employing Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. The bench has not been great. Pascal yes. Siakam in, in game four was not very good himself. You, they clearly miss OG. Fred Van Vliet is MIA totally. So the, the Philly... If they had been playing, because Jimmy Butler's playing better than I think would have been fair to anticipate, given how up and down he was all season, mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler's been consistent. They, what Philly is missing is the process and the Prince playing up to their abilities, right? Absolutely. It, it's Joel Embiid mm -hmm. consistently producing at the level we know he can, and Ben Simmons producing at all to the level that we know he can. I, so I've been very complimentary of Ben Simmons' defense. And I had a very smart NBA person reach out to me yesterday and say, Nick, you are getting the Ben Simmons defense in this series totally wrong. He is not using his length and he is not using his his strength to his advantage when he's guarding Kawhi. Yes, he, Kawhi might be shooting a lower percentage against Simmons than he is against other people, but it's because he's flamethrowing against everyone else. The point that was made to me is that Simmons is not steering Kawhi anywhere, mm. that Kawhi is getting exactly to his spots, a la Bernard King, like you said yesterday, as far as who he reminds you of. So to answer your question, long-winded, I apologize, but Ben Simmons, if, if he plays great, they'll win. Like, if Ben Simmons ha has a great game, assuming Joel Embiid is healthy-ish, they will win. But he is. this is the worst playoff series thus far of his career in a spot where Toronto actually, to me, looks a little wounded and looks a little Toronto in the postseason-ish. I think what you said is the most important thing. And that's all we can establish in this series. We can be like, oh, Joel Embiid, he's not dependable. His health, is he in shape, all that. Ben Simmons, oh, he can't shoot. The number one thing in this series is Kawhi Leonard is the best player. So if you say what's going to happen in game number five, that's the only thing that we can predict. All right? You can talk about all these other things. Kawhi Leonard has been outstanding. But to your point, as good as Kawhi has been, we still don't know who's the best team because we don't know who's going to show up for the Raptors. Now, I do believe that this can be a franchise-changing game. There's a rumor out there that the choice right now between for Kawhi would be Toronto and the Clippers, if Kawhi was able to get game number five in Jurassic Park and somehow they get to the finals, Kawhi could, Kawhi could, he could stay there. 
So for me, I'm not – forget all these other things. Van Fleet, is he going to come off the bench and do something? Well, no, not predictable. So for me, I believe Kawhi is going to send another message in this game. He didn't like the way he finished off and missed those two free throws, couldn't get the 40-point game. So that's what I'll be looking for in game number five, Jenna. But, Vinny, now you're banking on Kawhi going out and doing this again and again. If there's one thing that we've known about the Raptors is that they always have the deepest bench. That's the one thing that's been a constant last year, this year – They've all but disappeared. Now you got a bank on Kawhi giving you 39, 40, 41 points a night? Well, not, not, the, not that production, not the number. But to me, look, we can say all we want to say about the, the bench and the role players. Sometimes stars got to be stars. This is, mm-hmm. this is a star league. This is the league where mm-hmm. the best players have the ball in their hands the most time, and they can have a disproportionate effect on a game compared to anybody else, whether that's Kawhi or Jimmy Butler, or Embiid, or Simmons, whatever it is. Like, you have to call those guys and put the responsibility onto them. And if that's Embiid, who went from basically calling himself the pro- – he called himself the process as in the entire Philadelphia process and cupping his hands to the ears of the Philadelphia well, fans well, and egging right on down. and all sort other of type of stuff, right? Okay, if you're going to do that, be the guy. No matter whether you're sick, you're ill, whatever the case may be, be the guy. And Ben Simmons fancies himself as someone – who is in that same category. He thinks Mm -hmm. that he's a top-ten player in the game, regardless of his deficiencies. If that's the case, be the guy. And there's an element of this to where Philly has to to look back on game four and say, okay, with a minute left, it's a one-point game. In that, up to that point, Joel Embiid had made two shots. Ben Simmons had made two shots. Kawhi Leonard was playing out of his mind. And it was a one-point game with a minute left. That even they, they could have won game four with their two their, their two best young pieces, if not young players, because Butler's there, were playing terribly. Kawhi was playing great, and they still were right there until the very end. Mm-hmm. They know their complementary pieces, shockingly, are outplaying the Raptors' complementary pieces. I wonder if that travels north of the border tonight. All right. Following, Chris Broussard joins the Lock It In crew to tell you where the value lies in the second round of the playoffs. Oh, welcome back to Lock It In. I'm Rich Bonetta, joined by Todd Furman, Clay Travis, and Cousin Sal. I want to welcome in FS1 NBA analyst and our resident basketball professor, Mr. Chris Broussard. How do you feel that we give you such a prestigious title? I'm very grateful and thankful to you, Rachel. All right, well, uh, let's give these guys some bad grades, shall we? Chris, thanks for being I don't with think us. That was, I don't think he was being serious. I don't really like to he's, think he's he was. He's sick He's cool, right, genuine. Chris? might have been sarcasm. We're cool. It's been a busy NBA weekend, and we have a fantastic week of NBA action ahead. Best topic of the day. Such a glorious day. Yesterday, my Raptors defeated the villainous and treacherous Philadelphia 76ers to even the series at 2-2. Two to two. The series now heads back to Toronto where the Raptors are favored by six and a half. Chris, will Toronto cover at home versus Philly coming off their big win yesterday? I'm glad you're still talking to me, Rachel. Most of Canada is upset with me after I called the country soft and the Raptors soft as well. It was a you know, motivational tactic, though. It was before It was before <laughs> game four or three, and it was motivational. <laughs> it worked. You Don't won. It worked. You got to trust me. I picked the Raptors to get to the finals, so I'm trying to motivate them. But anyway, I do think the Raptors Raptors win, and I do think they cover. I think Pascal Siakam, who's only had one bad game in the entire postseason, which was just the last game, I think he bounces back, plays well, gives Ka- Kawhi Leonard that second star, and I think the Raptors win and cover. 
right, I had to take. You happy now? I had to take my shoes off. We for cool that, now. Actually, no, so. I you guys in the same uh, studio. Clay, was <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Why is Professor Broussard complaining or uh, or apologizing? For what's true, Canada is soft. You haven't won a Stanley Cup since like 1994. <laughs> you haven't won the rabbit. <laughs> you just you just fell feet. trying to throw a piece of paper at me. You're down for the count. Did she just sprain her ankle? Is she down? It's like free solo. I was watching that on the pl the play. Joel Embiid right now. Are you okay? Oh, Are you alive? Yeah, yeah, Joel Embiid. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm sure she we'll just show tore her ACL trying to walk over and throw something at the screen. That's how soft she is. That's why you got kicked out of basketball practice when you were 16, Bonetta. Um, and that's why you're still single and didn't get proposed to. Oh, my God. Your, your boyfriend doesn't want to get all, doesn't want everything to fall apart. <laughs> I am legitimately So, sweating. let me go back to the Raptors. That might have been a little bit too much. One day you're going to get married and live happily ever after. Thanks. I can feel it. So, here is the situation, all right? You're not going to live happily ever after and be able to celebrate Canadian <laughs> championships. But the Raptors are going to win. Play them on the money line. Which game are we talking about? But six and a half is too many. All right. The 76ers plus six and a half is too many. I like the Raptors to win, but not by six and a half. Play the Sixers. And maybe if you want to hop in and protect yourself, take the Raptors on the money line. Unless Berman's angry and he wants to be an angry robot and talk about this. Are you really injured? No, I'm fine. Uh, Chris, moving on. The Nuggets return to Denver to take on the Trailblazers in Game 5 with that series all knotted at two games apiece. Denver is favored by four and a half. And now, one, Chris, what is your early take on that game? Think Denver can win by five or more? Uh, I think the Nuggets do win, uh, but I don't think they win by five or more. These teams are really closely matched, as we've seen. and We saw about a four-overtime game. The last two games have been decided by a total of seven points. Again, I do think Denver wins. I think Nikola Jokic comes out more aggressive offensively like he did in game one in Denver, and he leads the Nuggets to a victory, but not by five or more points. Finally, Vincent Goodwill is back with Nick and CeCe to explain how it went down when Magic left the Lakers. Vince, what was your reaction to what LeBron had to say and how he reacted to what happened with Magic? Right or wrong, LeBron James is viewed as a form of pseudo-management. Like that scene in the beginning of the clips that you were playing, you saw LeBron and Magic mm -hmm. and Rob Palenka, you know, towards the end of that game when LeBron was hurt. That's kind of like the brain trust of the Lakers. That's what it was. So he expected the professional, quote-unquote, courtesy of being known. Like, mm -hmm. here's the thing about this, CC. LeBron has always managed to, A, be bigger than the team that he played for and to also partner with this unknown entity that granted him leverage. And Cleveland... It was Dan Gilbert's guilt. And this one, it was the specter of Magic Johnson. And actually, Magic just showed him, I mean more in L.A. and this franchise than you do. I don't owe you anything. Even though LeBron's power is largely imaginative, even though the power is more the illusion of the power that he can wield, he expected that from Magic, and I think he was blindsided that he didn't have the biggest piece of pie in the room for the first time in his career since he's recognized his power. He has not been the person with the most juice. He's not bigger than the Lakers brand, and he's not bigger than the Magic Johnson brand in L.A., and I think that was a shock to him. But even if Magic had the power dynamic to his advantage, 
just the professional thing to do, the right thing to do, is if I if, if someone were to recruit you to come somewhere and partner with them, and then their their contract's not expiring, they're not a pending free agent, and then they abruptly and suddenly leave, the right thing to do, even if you don't have to, is to give them a heads up. Nick, how will we be talking about this? Say, for instance, the general manager of Toronto Raptors decided he had talked to the Lakers and he decides to leave. Masai, Masai Ujiri, especially, yes. <laughs> let's just pretend in that scenario, Kawhi had signed an extension. That Kawhi was locked in there. Absolutely. No trade, signed an extension, partner with you. No, nah, actually, I'm gone. And people, I, I already know, because I saw people talking about this on the internet this weekend, whenever this happened. Oh, now LeBron knows how Dan Gilbert and Pat Riley felt. First of all, LeBron told Pat Riley before he told the world he's going back to Cleveland. Now, it might not have been the way Pat Riley wanted it, right. and Pat Riley might have been upset, but he did tell him. He didn't tell Dan Gilbert that first time. But he was a pending free agent about to do a television show announcing his decision. Magic Johnson didn't even have a press conference on the books for that day. <laughs> the only press conference on the books for that day was supposed to be LeBron's exit interview with the media, which is one of the reasons there were so there was a even by Lakers standards, more than typical members of the media there that early before the game. It, it's just not the right thing to do. And LeBron's reaction to me was somewhat muted because LeBron doesn't want to torch the relationship with Magic, it would appear. But if LeBron had said that, man, bleep that guy. I don't think anyone, if it, emotional reaction, you got to be kidding me. I, I decided to spend the last phase of my career here with you because I have a relationship with you. He didn't have no relationship with Jeannie Buss. He didn't have a relationship with Rob Palenka. You don't think he was going to come to the Lakers anyway? I think, well, I, I, I think he probably was. Go ahead, Vincent. Oh, okay, here's my thing. Let's say LeBron has the benefit of hindsight. He's completely clairvoyant. And this is July 1st, and he knows everything that's going to happen. He still chooses the Lakers because where yes. else is there for him to go? He did not give Philadelphia an interview. He was not going to stay in Cleveland. The Clippers were not ready in position to absorb LeBron. Where else was he going to go? So as much as it was about, quote-unquote, magic and the specter of magic, a lot of that to me was window dressing. He wanted to be in L.A. He wanted his family to live in L.A. There's nothing wrong with that, but to say that it's about magic and not the Laker brand and his life and all these other things outside well, of basketball. If magic's not there, but Phil Jackson is. Do you think LeBron's a Laker? Because well, that's a totally different. different argument because Phil Jackson said a lot of things that went against a agree. LeBron. Th that's why I brought that up. I I'm bringing up the other extreme, right? M the point that I'm making is the person in that seat might not have been the deciding factor, but it could have swayed it one way or the other. And you say the Clippers weren't in position. If LeBron looked at the Lakers and said, that's not a tenable situation, I, but I want to go to Los Angeles, the Clippers could have traded Tobias Harris earlier than they did. They could have put themselves in position if that's where he wanted to go. I do think LeBron was going to go to the Lakers no matter who the coach was, almost assuredly whoever the GM was, but that doesn't change things. I, it, with respect to Chris, Fox offers me this show. I'm taking it no matter who the partner is, right? I'm thrilled it's Chris. It, I, I'm so happy that's that's what it was. But even with that being the case, if Chris decides, you know what, but, uh, I'm out, he owes me a phone call. He doesn't owe me an explanation, but he owes me a heads up. And that is when you are partners like that, and you can speak to this part better than I can see, there is also another element of it's not just boss employee. It's not just GM player. It's all-time great athlete, all-time great athlete. Yes. And there's a special relationship there. That's what got him the only meeting. It's from respect, respect, 
And it's also from your brand, what you're doing on and off the court. And you're the most respected Laker of all time. When they put Magic in position and the Lakers begin manipulating, trading people out with Magic, traded D'Angelo Russell, when they started getting their money right, they were getting right for LeBron. I don't think Magic and LeBron ever had a great relationship, but I do think that they had respect. And the respect was Magic wasn't going to get yo-yoed in free agency. LeBron told him to show up, gave him the address. He showed up the front door. LeBron let him off the hook. But to me, seeing Magic since not telling, um, uh, um, not telling the ownership that he was going to resign, and since then having a meeting that he tweeted with Jenny Buss and still hadn't talked to LeBron, to me they didn't have no relationship. So regardless of how much respect, they didn't have a real relationship because he didn't get that call, and he still has not explained to him what happened because there would be a natural, even though I'm leaving, hey, Nick, there's a heads up, man. This is what you need to watch for. I was trying to fire Luke Walton. I was trying to fire Rob Palenka, and they were going behind my back. These are a list of emails that, that, were, of that were put out there. And LeBron would have a greater understanding of what he's going against, and I believe that LeBron deserved that. Magic plays by Magic's rules, and I don't oh, – and that, and, that is the, and that is the larger point about this. I don't think it's a lack of respect for LeBron at all. I think it's more Magic is saying, look, I've been doing this for a long time. And nobody, no player, and I guess in the ego standpoint, nobody is bigger than me. I'm Magic. And I understand that element of it. And it's wrong, it's wrong that he shouldn't have given LeBron. He should have had the uh, conversation with him. professional courtesy. But the other element is LeBron could have written his contract for the Lakers. He didn't do a one-plus-one as he had done repeatedly mm -hmm. in Cleveland because he wanted to help them when it comes to acquiring players. Right. He could have demanded a no-trade clause. He didn't do that because he trusted, well, Magic's never going to trade me. There are things that he didn't demand because he knew he didn't need to with Magic being there that now I'm sure he wishes he would have demanded. Thank you for listening to the Hoops on Fox podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review letting us know what you think of the show.